Randy and Dan were old friends, but they hadn't seen each other for over a year. They bumped into each other after a football game, and Randy said to Dan, and how's your wife? Dan said, my wife has gone to heaven. Randy said, oh, I'm so sorry. And then he realized that that wasn't really the most appropriate response. And so he countered by saying, I guess I mean I'm glad. Uh, And then that didn't sound quite right either. So he said, I mean, I'm so surprised. (laughs) Did the people at Nazareth hearing Jesus teach at the synagogue feel that similar type of confusion? They're asking, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? It's like they're saying, Jesus, we're so surprised. Well, not that we think, didn't think you'd make something of yourself, but, you know. How should they respond to Mary's boy, the carpenter who had formed and hammered their tables and benches? We taught him, and now he has the audacity to teach us about God? They were disbelieving, skeptical, uncertain. They took offense at him. Early impressions are lasting impressions. For example, maybe a bully intimidated you in school. You hear that he has changed, but you go to the reunion with your early impression, with a sense of disbelief that this obnoxious, crude fellow, to say it nicely, could become anything you'd want to hang around. And when you see him at the party, that same knot arises in your stomach as did when you were in high school. Like the Nazarenes, you're not open to considering who he is now. But on the other side of the coin, how is he feeling when you tensely shake his hand as you two are reintroduced? Are you both skeptical, uncertain that the other can change? Likewise, there appears to be this mutual annoyance between Jesus, who wanted everyone to embrace the good news he came to tell them, on one hand, and then the hometown crowd on the other who couldn't get past their early impressions and their skepticism. He could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Their lack of faith in Jesus limited his power to transform their lives. Could it be true that whatever we put our faith in has the power to transform our lives? If we put our faith in government, does that transform our lives? If we put our greatest faith in capitalism, or in nature, or in our families, or in ourselves? Would that transform our lives to the degree that faith in Christ can? To what do you direct your deepest faith?
Jesus, impotent, leaves Nazareth. He takes his divine wisdom and power elsewhere to the surrounding villages. And there he empowers his followers with the same wise and powerful authority that God has given him. Do you see the power flowing through him and then being distributed to his disciples? As he does so, he, takes, he, he tells them to take that power and authority and use it humbly and simply for the sake of others. If a household receives you where you go, stay there. Help them understand. Maybe be there so others can find you to ask you questions about God. However, you will not always receive the reception you want. He tells his disciples that, and he says that to us as well. You will not always receive the reception you want. You will find people hostile to God's message. You will experience rejection just as Jesus had in his hometown. And when you encounter that, follow his example. Leave. But let them know that they have missed an opportunity as you shake the dust off your feet. Because Jesus knew that not everyone wants to be transformed by God's wisdom and power. That might be hard for us to understand. But often, maybe for others, maybe for us too, it it seems easier to go forward on our own. Okay, so maybe we don't take that second tunic and we don't carry bread along with us, but we go with our own perceived wisdom. We're not willing to ask God for the guidance that comes from God's wisdom and God's experience with humanity. At NASA, someone was assigned to prepare a presentation on lessons that they had learned from their bad experiences with the Hubble Space Telescope. So this guy on his chart at the briefing session read number one, In naming your mission, never use a word that rhymes with trouble. That is wisdom of experience. And I see God as as the fullness of wisdom. God is full of wisdom then, and when we start there, instead of with our own sometimes feeble brains, the results are better than we ever could have anticipated on our own. Our wisdom questions why 300 people would leave Virginia for a week and go 2,000 miles to Standing Rock Reservation to hang out with Native Americans who are wondering the exact same thing. Godly wisdom says the people there need the hope that comes through faith in the God of Jesus Christ. And the presence of Virginians, believe it or not, provides that. By continually, year after year, serving up God's love, those whose lives have been darkened by rejection, 
by addiction, by hopelessness, see a glimmer of light. For the first time in decades, they experience a glimmer of hope. Now, a team has been going from the Roanoke Valley Baptist Association for four years now. This is the fifth. And after four years, for some, that divine light exploded just like last night's fireworks. And they got this powerful sense of God's love and strength and hope and wisdom. And their lives exploded with a wonderful change. A change that they now want to share with their family members and friends. Pastor Boots and Jackie Marsh have been ministering at Standing Rock, living there for six years. And recently, two women came up after some sort of gathering. They hadn't come up before, but they came up and they said, We've been watching you. And it took six years then for the trust to be built enough so that the women could even approach the pastor and his wife to say, we've been watching you. And they liked what they saw. It takes time. It takes persistence. It, it doesn't make sense in individualistic terms. Why would people 2,000 miles away matter to us? But in the larger picture, the wisdom picture, the picture of the world that God sees, when the people at Standing Rock feel just slightly more hopeful, the network of people around the world is stronger and more hopeful. That is God's wisdom and power at work. When you send a letter to someone in the military thanking him for his devotion to our country and to world freedom, it matters not just to him, but to his company and to his family back in the States. When you discipline a neighbor's child, you help her to know that she is being watched and that people care about what she does. Every act of goodness done with divine authority radiates around the world so that all of us, all of us, are then transformed by the love and power and wisdom of God. I think we forget sometimes, at least I do, what power we have to make the difference in one person's life. And then how much of a difference that makes all around us. We forget that Jesus has given us authority just like he gave the disciples authority to do amazing things in his name. We were reminded yesterday that in 1776, Thomas Jefferson wrote, edited, We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. For me and for all Christians, I pray that we would declare our independence 
from the perceived authorities of this world and put our faith wholly in Christ and let his wisdom and power transform our lives and transform others through us. We begin again at this table. It is a table of renewal. It is a table of repentance. It is a reminder to us that God renews us with sustenance, the, the food of life, bread and juice. We could get by for years on bread and juice, and our spirits do. I was hearing recently about a church in the South that has close, closed communion. Any ideas? Closed communion is pretty much within your denomination. You know, nobody from outside your denomination could take communion at your church. Close, closed communion is when nobody from outside the membership of your church can take communion when you do. Well, thank you for not being like that, Calvary Baptist Church. This table is open to all who seek Christ, to all who want to be sustained by the Christ of power and wisdom. It's a symbolic meal, a reminder of the feast that we shall share together with Christ in the future, in, that, in the, the hope of eternal life which we share together. Let's say a prayer in thanksgiving for this meal. God of wholeness and God of healing, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around this table and we thank you for not closing anyone out and for receiving each of us with your love. As we sense your love and strength that flows through the bread and juice, we pray that you would guide us beyond these walls to show your love and acceptance to others in your name. Amen.